0: Okay, hello and welcome to the Clipping Chains podcast from clippingchains.com, where we are funding the adventurous life. This is your host, as usual, Chad Andrews. And hi, how are you? You know, guys, I lied. I have one last podcast episode for you in 2022. Today on episode 50. I want to leave you with some thoughts that might make for a useful guide in 2023. This time of year, we are often reflecting on the previous year and planning goals or resolutions for the coming year. It's a natural process. We do this kind of every year. But in my experience, I found that many of my previous goals, even those well aligned with Western values of success, haven't always led toward living a more meaningful or purposeful life. Much of my contemplation since achieving financial independence has been about rewiring the narrative around what it is to be successful. And in many ways, I continue to be fascinated with what ancient philosophers and thinkers sorted out thousands of years ago about human behavior. So on that note, today I return to a written essay I posted on the blog from earlier this month. This is an examination on the ancient Greek philosophy of eudaimonia. Okay, we'll get right into it. It's amazing to think that philosophers, thinkers of ancient times sorted out much in the way of living a meaningful and purposeful life. But after thousands of years of progress, material growth, convenience, all the things we associate with modern life, we still largely fail to find meaning in our modern lives. Today we examine the philosophy of eudaimonia and how we can truly develop our sense of meaning and purpose for free. We don't need coaches. We don't need wellness products or spas. We can do it for free. Excellent. So let's talk about this concept of eudaimonia and what it means, which is actually human flourishing. So the towering Greek philosopher, Aristotle—you may have heard of him—first proposed the concept of eudaimonia, which is this ancient Greek term, often mistranslated to be about happiness, to be finding joy, but actually more appropriately means human flourishing. So again, many have misconstrued Aristotle's philosophy as one in search of joy, in search of pleasure— or more specifically, the reduction or elimination of pain. And indeed, if we look at human history, if we look at the course of our time on this planet, much of technology, if we're honest, has been about this endless effort to increase enjoyment and or reduce pain. Think about it. Look at microwaves. They cook faster. 50 years ago, you'd have to cook on a stove. But maybe 100 years before that, a stove would look amazing. You had to build a fire and boil water. And then obviously, we can understand how even before that, it was much more complicated. TVs and social media. Do I even need to say it? Right? And they keep us entertained. They keep us distracted. They keep us from thinking about the difficult feelings and emotions that we don't want to face. Cars and escalators. They help us walk less and arrive sooner. That sounds like a good thing, right? However, but in making living easier, human progress has at the same time undermined this concept of eudaimonia, which is keeping us from truly flourishing. So if Aristotle was here right now, let's pretend he is, he would say the eudaimonic life is an active, inquisitive, contemplative, and involved life, Eudaimonia involves the introduction of pain to provide growth, the involvement in community to connect and bond with our tribe, ideally with those who challenge us in our values and beliefs. Now, in contrast, we can look at this idea, hedonia, and this is more the pursuit of feeling good. Some of you may be familiar with the hedonic treadmill, so we'll talk a little bit about what that is. So in contrast to eudaimonia, hedonia is absolutely the pursuit of feeling good. To feel good in this sense, one must aim to maximize pleasure and avoid pain. In doing so, one is more likely to live a life devoid of depth and devoid of community. The more time spent consuming what is in essence like a candy of the soul, right? Just easy sugar pleasure, pleasurable distractions like television, social media, the less time there is available for contemplation and engagement with who we really are. I don't think many of us, me included, know the real us. I think we are so busy trying to form a vision of who we should be, a socially acceptable version of who we need to be, that we fail to recognize the things we often have in common with all of us. We're all selfish, but yet we all try and paint a vision of ourselves as the not selfish person and often critique those who have the personality traits we don't like about ourselves. Let's talk about relationships. So when people run from difficult relationships, and I certainly have many times in the past, I've alluded to this, it's a big problem for me. Those who run from difficult relationships are more likely to find all relationships difficult. My hand is raised. As such, they become increasingly disengaged from in-person contact and miss out on the sense of belonging in society. Absolutely. Now, when we talk about hedonism, it isn't just the pursuit of wealth, power, or an emotional high. I think a lot of times hedonism is associated with like, I don't know, doing tons of cocaine on a yacht with a bunch of girls in bikinis or guys in Chippendale outfits, whatever your preference is. That's this common idea of hedonism. But it can be as simple as a constant avoidance of what causes us pain. If we're always looking to avoid pain, we are engaging in hedonism. So we must be careful not to characterize hedonia solely as some sort of shallow pursuit. Because some sense of pleasure is important and it's justified, of course. We we shouldn't be just living this hard, austere, stoic life. We do need pleasure. I understand that. And I want it too. So what happens when we just pursue happiness? A misaligned pursuit of happiness leads paradoxically to fragility and eventually unhappiness. And we see it in our modern language. Look today. We see terms like toxicity or violence that have broadened significantly in recent decades. These terms used to be used for actual physical engagement. But now these are examples of how minor disagreements or even high standards can be perceived and labeled as abuse. As we become more comfortable and less challenged, as our needs are easily met, our grievances become pettier, right? Do you ever go to a nice neighborhood and throw your dog turd in somebody's trash can? They might lose their minds, (laughs) but that's because their life has gotten too easy and their grievances pettier. It's true. Try it out. (laughs) I can. I get a test. By engaging too often in the hedonia condition, we are happy in the short term but discontent and perhaps lonely in the long term. Discourse becomes polarized. Differences are magnified and common ground is overlooked. Western culture celebrates and encourages hedonia. So you don't need to be discouraged by the tendency to engage in some or even many of these behaviors because we all do. We've been taught from a very early age that this is normal behavior in our society. We are taught to go out and make a lot of money to buy nice things and to raise status for ourselves and our family. So the idea is not to eliminate leisure completely or to fully embrace pain, but to be mindful and resist the urges to regularly do so. So according to this eudaimonia concept, what are the four pillars of living a meaningful life? Well, there are some similar concepts and themes that emerge from those who report something akin to a sense of eudaimonia. And these are the four pillars described by the ancients, which again, it's so amazing to me that over 2000 years ago, these ancient philosophers and thinkers kind of had it nailed on how human behavior works. And after 2000 years, we haven't been able to learn their lessons. I don't know. It just blows my mind anyway. So these are the four pillars described by the ancients belonging, Purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. So, if that sounds a little loosey goosey, I don't blame you, but let's get into it. Those with meaning in their lives often engage in the following Number one, they connect and bond with others in a face to face manner. Online communities don't cut it, guys, they don't. We know this, we can see this in the science. We get only a very modest engagement of this sort of meaning in our lives through online communities. We need that face-to-face contact. We need to see how eyebrows furl. We need to see how body language is used. That's all part of the richness of human engagement. We cannot get that on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook. We just can't. Okay. Number two, they participate in worthwhile and engaging activities with their time. So this sense of purpose can come from using skills and abilities to serve. Now, this is important. To serve without asking or expecting anything in return. I think this is where we blow it in modern times. We say we're doing something because we think it's important. Often, if we're honest, it's either about money, number one, or it's about power and or status. And I think we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. We're not necessarily serving if we're honest. It's all about our own ambitions or pursuit of money. So we have to be careful to ask what are we really doing? And is it keeping us from having meaning with our careers and the work we do? Number three, they create narratives and stories to provide meaning and to explain their place in the world. Now, these narratives can connect and explain both positive and negative experiences that shape our lives. So for instance, a death in a family, a death of even a spouse can be used to form a narrative about maybe creating a new life, learning from this experience. We often see that those who report losing someone very close to them don't always stay in a very negative, downtrodden state for very long. They're able to grow from this experience if they can create a narrative that helps them grow. And that leads right into this last one. Those who have meaning in their lives discuss spiritual or mystical experiences or discuss self-loss. This doesn't mean you have to necessarily be religious. You don't have to ascribe to a standard religion. But some sense of spirituality, some sense of being a small part of something larger is very important, according to the Greeks, according to the ancients. And this idea of a transcendence allows us to feel as though we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. So again, this gets back to motivations. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot. And this, for me, is a real gift of financial independence. Many of you will find yourself on this website or listening to this podcast in anticipation of achieving financial independence and perhaps maybe quitting a job. I understand that. I was in your shoes. So this idea that decreasing pain associated with work, well, Merck's a bummer. I don't like it. It's hard. Um, I don't like my boss and I don't like my commute. There's a pain there, right? We can feel that pain. Or we imagine the pleasure associated with leisure. Like I'll travel a bunch. I'll go rock climbing every day. I'll sleep in. I'll drink coffee slowly. All these things are alluring, but they're flawed, unfortunately, according to the ancients. Don't blame me. Blame Aristotle. Over 2,000 years ago, again, these ancient philosophers warned us of the excesses brought on by leisure and convenience, yet we still fail to heed their insight and learn from these timeless observations of human behavior. They told us, if you keep trying to program your life to avoid pain or to increase pleasure, you cannot find happiness. And yet that is exactly how we're taught to engage life. So by all means, secure financial independence. I want you to do that. Of course, that's why I run this website. That's why I talk about it every week. But do not do so in pursuit of a life of leisure because the Greeks figured it out, man. They're telling us don't do this. Be engaged with your community. Use your inherent skills and passions for good and provide quiet time for contemplation. I know you parents might be shaking your head. What quiet time? (laughs) Well, I don't really understand, but I understand, right? Find a sense of spirituality, however that looks for you. Resist acting with the anticipation of recognition or reward. That's a tough one for a lot of us. That's a tough one for me. And maybe hardest of all, embrace difficult emotions and relationships to enable learning and growth. So finally, use this opportunity not to eliminate problems but to create better problems.